hear a little bit about these individuals a little bit. As an intro to IJM, I'd like to show you a video of the work that we do every day. Can you play the video? We have operations all over the world, rescuing people from slavery. Because today there are criminals who abuse children, sell girls. How old is she? 12? How much? 30? Yeah, yeah, maybe. And force families into slavery. Criminals prey on the easiest target, the world's poor, because they expect no one to defend them. But today, there are thousands of people gathering to seek justice for those in slavery. We are a group of lawyers, counselors, activists, and supporters. We are called International Justice Mission. Together, we form the largest international anti-slavery organization in the world. But slavery won't come to an end until criminals know they can't get away with it. So we partner with local police to arrest and prosecute criminals. This sends a message to slave owners. We will not go away. We stay with the survivors until they are healed, until they are free. Each year, we rescue thousands of slaves and protect millions around the world. We are transforming how justice systems protect their citizens. To those who are still enslaved, we promise to find you. We will get you home to your families so you can have the freedom you deserve. Slavery and violence against the poor 
are terrifying realities. There are 40 million people held in slavery today. We're not talking about low wages. We're not talking about poor working conditions. We are talking about being owned by another human being. To put that in perspective, that is the population of eight Midwestern states, including Ohio. One in five women will be raped or attempted rape. Human trafficking is, has a global net worth of $150 billion. We know that there are thousands of traffickers using their power to keep people enslaved, all because slavery is profitable. They value money more than they value human life. These slave owners are calculated, they're corrupt, and they're persistent. They're unafraid to use their power, money, influence to oppress others. Most of these criminals that are abusing the poor aren't doing it because they're brave. They're doing it because they can get away with it. No one holds them accountable for their crimes. So they have absolutely no fear of being caught and punished. In fact, five billion women, children, and men live inside a justice gap without the protection or benefit of law. So let me explain that a little bit more. Slavery begins with the most vulnerable who live in poverty, fear, and outside the protection of law. There is no 911 call. First comes the deception. Through promises of a job, education for their children, or ruse by a man pretending to be their boyfriend. These tricks work. And before one realizes the deception, it's too late. They're caught in the trap. Then comes the violence, threats, intimidation, beatings, rape, abuse. And the violence lasts long enough to cause the victim to fall into hopelessness, despair, and worse, the loss of the ability to believe that they have value. Why does this happen? The problem is, there is no law enforcement. Though laws exist, they're not being enforced. So what is IJM's solution? We have a simple change, theory of change. When laws are enforced, the violence goes away, stops. We work in 29 offices in 22 countries. We're in Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia, and India. We have roughly 1,200 staff members, where 96% of our field staff are locals, working to change the course of history in their own countries. The type of casework we do is violence against women and children, which includes sexual assault, domestic violence, forced labor and sex trafficking, and police abuse of power. Oops. Okay, well, one slide didn't work, so that's okay. Inspired by God's heart for justice, 
IJM models with partners so that we work in their local justice systems. We work together to restore and rescue survivors so they have the opportunity to thrive. We bring criminals to justice. We prevent them from victimizing others and we want them to arrest them to defer other criminals. We strengthen the system to enforce its own laws and protect its own citizens. And then we scale that protection so that it's essential for everyone in the future. There is real and horrific violence in our world. So the question is, are there miracles as well? My understanding of miracles, until recently, was that miracles were and are a spectator event. Now, of course, some of Jesus' miracles are done with no human participation. But most of them are this beautiful mixture of Jesus working with, in, and through people to accomplish his divine and miraculous purposes. When Jesus turns the water into wine, his first miracle, people are required to fill that huge stone jug. The miracle of catch of the fish happens twice. And both times it's under a long, hard night of fruitless fishing. And both times the disciples are asked to cast their net on the other side of the boat. The disciples have to physically haul those nets in and deal with the fish. When Jesus heals the paralyzed man, it's his friends that have to carry him to the house on a stretcher, climb the roof, make a hole, and lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And the feeding of the thousands has a little boy giving up his lunch. And then food is passed to person, to person, to person, until all are satisfied, and they still have some left over. We've just heard a little bit about IJM and the work we do to protect people living in poverty from violence by reducing the prevalence of crimes globally. It's important and urgent work. But for most of us, it seems impossible. And I get that. So what is it that prevents many of us from seeking justice and rescuing the oppressed? I believe we have the biblical conviction that we should do so. And we know that God loves justice and actually cares about these issues. So what is it? What stands in our way? What is the hard obstacle to overcome? What is the thing that keeps us awake at night? And what is the thing that causes us to forget about the horrific suffering of others and put it out of our minds? What's standing in our way? Could it be lack of hope? Our lack of hope that anything could possibly change. 
What lack of hope looks like might be the story of a boy named Gideon. Gideon is no stranger to hopelessness. Gideon's father died when he was very young, and in the midst of his family's grief, a neighbor approached and offered to take care of Gideon. He had to take him away, but he could take good care of him and put him in school. It was a difficult decision, but at the end, his mom let Gideon go with the neighbor. But what that neighbor actually did was traffic Gideon onto a lake called Lake Volta. It's the largest man-made lake in the world. It's in Ghana. His, start, his day started at 3 o'clock in the morning. He had to pull heavy nets out of the water. He worked long days, not only in the boat, but in the fields. He finally was allowed to have his one meal a day and a few hours to sleep. His master was cruel, often beating him, but worse, telling him his mother was dead so he would have no reason to run away. Now, we heard about children on Lake Volta. We decided to conduct an in-country investigation to determine the magnitude of child slavery problem. It was then that IJM's investigators met Gideon. Now, our, our investigators created a fake business. One investigator would talk to the boatmaster at the front of the boat and try to see if he might be interested in helping them sell fish. The other investigator would be at the other end of the boat, talking to the boys to find out if, in fact, they were slaves. Now, they weren't there to rescue yet. They were just collecting information, so they had to pull away from that boat and move on to another. But as they pulled away, Gideon, having no idea of their true identity or purpose, yelled out, don't leave me with this man. He is wicked. Their investigation revealed that there were 60% of the kids on that lake were slaves. That's 15,000 children. I know this is hard, but can you imagine with me for a minute? When boys like Gideon are trafficked on the lake, most of them don't know how to swim, and they're very fearful. As you can see, Lake Volta is a flooded forest. So the dark water is full of trees and branches, that always catch the nets of the fishermen. The boatmasters love to work with little boys, and when the nets get snagged on the branches, they throw the kids into the lake and make them swim down and untangle the nets with their little fingers. Many of these children drown. Thank you. 
The problem of child slavery is hard. It's hard to look at because it seems impossible to solve. It feels too big, too complex, and far over there. But we've learned over the years at IJM that God usually accomplishes these kinds of miracles through the hard work of people like you and me. Our investigator, Vic, couldn't take Gideon off that lake that day, and it haunted him for a year and a half. But during that time, my colleagues at IJM did the hard work of setting up a brand new office in Ghana. And finally, in August of 2015, Vic, who was so determined to rescue Gideon, embarked on our first ever rescue operation. Working alongside local authorities, we rescued 10 boys, and Gideon was one of them. Gideon's path was challenging. He had never gone to school. He couldn't read or write. But in IJM's aftercare program, Gideon received trauma-focused therapy and started going to school. But the road for IJM was even more challenging. When IJM colleagues insisted on arresting those boat captains because they had broke the law, tensions escalated. And the Ghanaian government actually suspended our license to operate. And we had to stop rescuing for two years. We did everything we could. We talked to every person we could. And then we prayed. We, pr we prayed that God would act and these officials would have a change of heart. Now I'm going to stop the story now. But I promise I'll get back to it. But I do want to turn our attention to another form of sex, child sex abuse. Now, I want you to know that this is going to be a very difficult story to hear. But I do want to start with a personal story about uh, one of our vice presidents, Philip Langford. Philip loves to scuba dive. But after he got married and half five, had five children, guess what? Scuba diving was not on the ticket until he would go to the Philippines, and then he would stay two weeks. And in the weekend, he found his love for scuba diving again. One weekend, he had asked the local dive master named Francis to help him with a refresher course. The first hour was easy, but strangely, Francis would grab Philip's arm and say, Philip, remember to breathe. Now, the next few hours, they were busy with the equipment. But Francis grabbed Philip's arm again and said, you need to remember to breathe. Philip's like, yeah, I got it. No problem. Then they were finally on the edge of the boat, ready to fall into the water. And Francis grabbed Philip's arm and said, remember to breathe. Now, as they descended into the sea, into that vastness, the endless darkness of the abyss, Philip found his own smallness in this huge underwater world. And he 
found it hard to think clearly. Overwhelmed, he tensed, and strangely, he forgot to breathe. Francis realized that Philip was in trouble, and he grabbed his arm, and Philip took a deep breath. Many times, our work is dark and disturbing. For example, our work in the Philippines dealing with boys and girls like Marco and Gabby. Trapped in cybersex trafficking, unspeakable brutalities and the scale of abuse that so many thousands of children go through, it can just feel overwhelming. But like Philip, I want you to breathe because we have to have a clear head. Cybersex trafficking is the abuse of children streamed live over the internet. Pedophiles anywhere in the world can search online, wire a secure payment to an adult to set up a show. The Philippines is a hotspot for cybersex trafficking because internet access is growing and English is spoken widely, making it very easy for predators to set up sex shows. We have found that victims tend to be quite young. 60 to 70% of the kids that we have rescued so far are 2 to 12 years old. Marco was 7 and Gabby was 2 when we first heard about them. They lived in a poor neighborhood in Cebu. And local authorities got a tip from the British law enforcement who had uncovered four thousand images on a computer in London and trace the origins back to a cyber sex trafficking ring in the Philippines. The computer in London belonged to a 73-year-old Irishman. He had been directing sexual abuse of children via his webcam under the comfortable assumption he was safely hidden behind the screen of his computer. He was mistaken. He now sits in prison, serving 12 years. Yay. Like most children, during the day, Marco attends school, but inside his house at night, he and little Gabby were forced to stand in front of the computer and perform sex acts directed from faraway places they had never heard of, live over the internet. Now, deeply heartening, it was Marco and Gabby's own mother and a neighbor who set up this lucrative business and offered live sex shows of their young children right from their homes. Thank you. 
Superman and protect my sister from the bad guys. As you can see from the video, the rescue teams drove into the neighborhood and police led the way into three different homes, striking the targets at the same time, making all the arrests and finding all the children. Now remember, breathe. These stories can fill us with just overwhelming sorrow. And we feel powerless. We feel bolted to our seats in despair. But it's at these difficult times 
we need to return to scripture. And one book that has sustained me during the dark times is Lamentations. Let's look at a few verses. So I say, my splendor is gone and all I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my afflictions and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's greatest, great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. In these oddly comforting verses, scripture is affirming that our feelings that we can experience at one point or another of hopelessness, display, uh, despair, and hardship. We all feel them. But then in verse 21, it starts to turn it around. Yet this I call to mine, and therefore I have hope. And then verse 22 just crushes the darkness and despair. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The scripture calls us out of hopeless reality and into a new reality, a reality of great hope, of God sustaining us in hardship and providing new mercies every day because of his love for us. God reminds us the story isn't over. New mercies and hope lay ahead. And we can grab hold of that hope. So imagine our joy two years later. In one single election, every single corrupt government official was removed from office and replaced by leaders of resolve and goodwill. It was a miracle, a miracle that required people to participate by lining up and voting, by casting ballots, by sharing the results, and then the transfer of power. God had showed us so many mercies. Operations began again, this time with little resistance. And to this day, hundreds of children have been rescued from that lake. And our partnership with local justice system is creating a network of protection so kids never have to be trafficked and abused in the first place. In Cebu, it took us six months. And with God's help, we found Marco and Gabby and their cousins, girls 8 and 13, just like we have found hundreds of more children. We see God's miracles all the time. Marco and Gabby are living in an aftercare home along with their cousins and their young aunt. And I can tell you that Marco is in a new school. Whoops, wrong way. His favorite subject is math. His favorite color is yellow. 
He loves to play outside, and he really is a leader. Gabby is the smallest and youngest of the group, but she loves to play, and they're adjusting to their new routines. I can tell you that Gideon graduated from Mason School, where his diploma was decorated with a special certificate for reading. I can tell you there are boats of children being brought out of hopelessness into a new world. And I can tell you about the ways the local church has taken on the issue of slavery on their lake as their own. And churches are calling out boat captains and asking them to repent. So what does this mean for us tonight in Sandusky? First, my hope for all of you as mothers and daughters and sisters and aunts who likely experience seasons of great stress, despair, and hopelessness, let's cling tenaciously to hope. Let's courageously, sorry, courageously believe that God is not only with us in the times of darkness, but he has new mercies every morning, and we can put that hope in our lives. Let's actively look for new mercies. And secondly, let's remember that miracles are seldom spectator events. Jesus has a beautiful way of inviting us to play our small part in the work of God. So when you go about your work and your life and your family and your jobs and volunteering and giving to your charitable organizations, I encourage you to look where you can play some role in the work and the miracles that God is indeed doing on this earth, whether through IJM, your family, your business, or all of it. We can take those little steps and be a part of God's miracles. My last slide is I'm praying that you're all hoping, what can I do? I want you to learn. Join the conversation. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. Watch Gary Haugen's TED Talk. Read Gary Haugen's book, Just Courage. Spread the word. Hold small events with friends, family, church members. Get your church involved. There are 2.2 billion Christians in the world today. That's a powerful force with resources and expertise that can lead this movement to end slavery in our lifetime. And pray. We're building a movement of prayer for our teams in the field and the people we serve. Core to IJM's DNA is our reliance on Christ to inspire, fuel, and lead us in our work. In fact, our staff spends 30 minutes a day, each day, in corporate prayer. And we would love for you to join us. And then donate. You can give monthly you can give tonight, you can bring light to the dark. So thank you. I know it's difficult sometimes to hear these truths, but remember, 
miracles happen all the time. Thank you. We're going to do questions if anyone has any. I'm kind of hoping you do. I know I went a little long. We just have, have um, oh, we just have time for one or two questions if you have one. Um, and then Pam, um, I'll just I'll say a prayer and then she will go out to the table and then you'll be able to ask more questions um, out there. The worship center and the, her table is set up. She has lots of information, lots of pamphlets, different mm -hmm. things. And I'll be out there as well. Yeah. So, there's a question. Yeah. Let me see if you have a question. Is IJM involved in uh, sex trafficking in the United States? We are not. Um, the U.S. is made of rule of law, and they have um, a, way, a special way of doing sex trafficking in every state. Uh, we feel that internationally there is no 911, there is no law, so we really focus internationally. Anybody else? Oh my goodness, you don't have more questions than that? <laughs> they might catch you at the table. First of all, thank you. Thank you for coming and just even opening our eyes and our hearts to this amazing. I was just wondering what kind of training is mm -hmm. required for these amazing teams to go out? Yeah. Uh, we are lawyers uh, because we take these court cases through the systems to find out where they're broken. Social workers, we have a nine-point um, aftercare program that is used everywhere now. We um, give it freely to anybody, any hospital, any social worker who wants it. It's really an, a fantastic aftercare. And then there are marketers and uh, pastors and um, others. So really, look on our website if you're interested. Um, there's so many positions and so many different things to do. The floodgates open. I know, that's awesome. Yay. <laughs> she said this was going to happen. You just have to get your nerve up. How do you hear about the children or the, the people that need help? We have investigators on the ground, and those investigators go out and seek the crime. We help police put the case together, and what we're really doing is training police. They're, police are... Some are very corrupt, but others really want to do their job. They just don't know how to do it. And so we train them. We show them how to do it. And um, that's really how we do it. Work alongside police. Investigators really go out and do the work. And now that we've been out a while, we're finding that survivors are using networks to go out because they know their local communities, and they help us find quite a bit as well. Um, this is this could be a, a simple answer or a long one, but I'm just curious in the video when they talk about um, reaching the kids that, that first meeting when they are on the boat, why 
systems are in place that they can't take them right away? Like, what is, why does this process look the way it does, I guess, to go back in and investigate and then remove them? Oh, that was just the first time. So we had to do an investigation of the lake. So we went out and talked to every boatmaster to get a sense of how many kids were really slaves. Once we got a good idea of what was out there, then we go to boat to boat and we do rescue. But you have to remember, this, this lake is huge. And our boats are motored boats. And so when they hear it's coming, so they hide in all these inlets. We've gotten very uh, James Bond, and we use satellite imaging now to track them and find them. Um, but, but yeah, it's, now we're, we're going and rescuing all the time. We were doing so much that we actually had to stop because we needed to find more um, aftercare programs, aftercare places to put the children. And we don't let any parent or anybody take the kids until they go through the program, and we can verify that it's safe for them to go back to the family, and sometimes it's just not safe. Oh, there's a question over here. Hi there. You were just kind of getting into what my next question oh, was, and okay. that was about the aftercare, yeah. and then where the, um, the babies or the the kids go after that. Do you have an adoption program? You know, it's, it's really strange. <laughs> the U.S. is about the only ones that have foster care and real adoption. We are just beginning to do that in the Philippines, and we're doing it differently, or at least the Filipinos are doing it differently. They are having church churches own the child, in a sense. I mean, the, they live with one family, but the church is responsible to make sure that the family is taking care of the child, which I love. Um, but so so far, many of them are still in aftercare. Um, their mothers, they're, they're really hard on the aftercare person that was abusing these kids. And so they're going to, to jail for 20 years. So you can imagine, Marco and Gabby are gonna be 28, you know, 30 years old by the time their mom gets out. That, that's, you know, their whole life. Um, and so we need to find a better way, a better family unit for them, and we're, we're working with the churches now to see if that works. Okay. And would that information just kind of be updated on your website? Yeah. Those changes yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're so welcome. Okay. Well, we're going to let Pam scurry. Yeah. Just uh, go on back there to her table, and um, I'm going to close in prayer. What an eye-opening evening, right, ladies? When I was first introduced to Pam just uh, within this last month, and I heard uh, we had a, a Zoom call, and she started to tell all the things that she was telling tonight, I was just awestruck. I was like, how do I not know this? I don't, I didn't know. You know, I mean, you hear about it in the United States. Somebody mentioned, Pat, I think it was you. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's happening everywhere. But I had no idea. And so I'm so grateful for the opportunity that we had tonight to hear because we can pray, right? We can pray and, um, and we can just ask the Lord whatever he has for us, you know, um, with information, um, that, that he would ask for each one of us individually to do or, 
or to take a particular child and be praying for that child. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Lord's saying, but yeah. So, yeah. So let's just pray. Father God, I thank you so much um, that we were able to be here tonight to hear um, these stories that are so hard uh, to hear, but they're real. And um, God, we need to know about these things so that our hearts can be stirred toward prayer or, or whatever you would have for us to do, Lord, even um, how Pam got involved in this, Lord. I, it's, just, it's just an amazing thing to me, um, such brave and courageous people that are um, just following you. And um, God, I know that this hurts your heart to, to have this happening in our world, um, and yet, Lord, uh, you are faithful, and you, um, this is not your will for their lives, but you are raising up organizations and people to come alongside and help these dear, sweet children and, and families and women, so we thank you for that. So I just pray that um, we will just leave here safely tonight. We're so grateful for our country. <laughs> And for the way that we're able to live, uh, help us to remember tonight in our prayers. We ask it in your name. Amen. <laughs>